0: Good morning, second hour of Mornings with Carmen today. One interesting headline uh, that I read today, there have been no pedestrian deaths in New York City during the lockdown. And you say to yourself, well, who cares? Okay, so pedestrian deaths in New York City is is like a problematic thing. Um, pedestrians get hit frequently. If you've ever uh, walked the streets in any way, shape or form in New York City, you know um that you're just always right there on the edge of of life and death. Um there have been no zero pedestrian deaths in New York City during um during the shutdown. Now why bring this up? Well, because uh I think that there are opportunities for us to talk about um ways in which people are going to be changed by this. Um some people's lives preserved uh, even though yes absolutely other lives lost um there are opportunities to to talk about some things and i just i just want to encourage you to do that uh and and maybe think about what it means to walk by faith and not by sight but also alert and keeping watch right like i'm not trying to minimize um or i'm not trying to you know, whip out a Bible verse for everything, <clears throat> although I kind of like to do that. Uh, I do want us to think about um, where we walk, how we walk, how alert we are when we walk. Um, we have talked on occasion about the number of people who uh, who have been hit because they were walking and they had their phone and they were, you know, following directions on their phone as if uh, traffic uh, around them was not relevant to the walking directions they were following. So let's walk today in the spirit, but let's also walk on the sidewalk. There you go. So uh, I just thought it was an interesting headline. I thought I would bring it up to you. All right, Un- because the other headlines are grim. Unemployment and economic reality. Uh, my guess is that you or certainly someone that you know is now among the unemployed in the United States of America. Roughly 27 million people have lost um not only their jobs but their job-based health coverage since the virus uh, began shocking the economy now uh, now i don't know a couple of months ago so why does that matter well uh it's not that just it's not just that people have lost their income they lost their uh employer health coverage and their cobra has either or is about to run out and so one of the things that is in the next round of stimulus that the Democrats are proposing is is a a maintenance of employer plans through COBRA, um, an option that you know is otherwise really expensive for people because you have to pay to continue your own coverage under COBRA. And so the government would be picking up that tab. So now this is, you know, obviously a long way from uh from law, but it's a part of the proposal that the the Dems are putting forward right now. Um, All right, there is a new study by some academic researchers projecting that more than 100,000 small businesses have already closed permanently since late March, uh, and that at least 2% of all American small businesses uh, are now gone. And so it's important for us to talk about jobs that will not be returning, and to talk about all of those small business owners who have not only shuttered their businesses, but but now they they don't necessarily have a plan for what they're going to do in terms of their own recovery. Next up, Bill English from Bible and Business.com. We're going to talk about churches and business closing, uh, and we're going to talk about some lawsuits related to it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Joining me now, Bill English from Bibleandbusiness.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I am. I am well. I am well. Thank you so much. Good. Is your um, is your self-quarantine time over?
2: It is over. I'm back at work. and uh, But we are enforcing our six feet social distancing within the office and everybody has a mask so that if they get within six feet, they got to put on the mask. So it's all it's all good.
0: Yeah. So I we I think we are getting pretty good at like it's it's my arm's length and your arm's length. So it's not that we're staying and arm's length apart. We're staying the length of my arm and the length of your arm apart. That's how we are sort of judging that six feet range. Yes.
2: Yes. You and I important. should
0: each be able to twirl around with our arms fully extended simultaneously without our fingertips touching.
2: Well, and that's one of the ways that I'm a basketball <laughs> referee, and there's a six-foot rule in oh. basketball, and uh, it's called it's called the closely guarded rule. And if you're inside of six feet, you're closely guarded. If you're outside of it, you're not closely guarded. So I'm accustomed to looking at those two arms lengths between the dribbler and the defender to say, is that six feet? Is it not six feet? Do I start the closely guarded count? Do I not start the count? Yeah, uh, but but you're absolutely right. Those Those two arms lengths gives you your six feet.
0: Okay, uh, Paul Perot, we're putting that on Peter Capsnar's list tomorrow. I want to know if this uh, basketball closely guarded rule could be leveraged into some sort of blog post. Because I don't know, this sounds really. I'm not going to make you talk about it today because we have so much to talk about. But I could make Peter Capsnar talk about that tomorrow,
2: definitely. Oh yeah, you'll you'll embarrass Peter, I think.
0: Definitely, definitely. It's his, you know, sports is his second love language after sarcasm. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Bill. Um, we yes. have serious, serious, serious matters to discuss. Uh, there's actually, a Minnesota, there's a Minnesota lawsuit alleging that churches and businesses that have been forced to close um, actually have their uh, constitutional rights violated. Give us a summary of the complaint and um, tell us what you think's going on there.
2: Well first of all it 's filed by the upper midwest law center it 's a new support uh, conservative value it 's a new center that supports conservative values and limited government. It was filed in the United States District Court here in Minneapolis. And basically, they're alleging that con- that, that uh, many Minnesotans' constitutional rights have been violated because some businesses have been shut down while others have been allowed to remain open. Worshippers have been prohibited from assembling to celebrate important religious days, uh, that Governor Waltz, who's the governor here in Minnesota, closed down our economy even though there was no federal directive to do so, and he also lacked the state statutory authority to do so. And he did not consider other less restrictive means uh, to achieve his interests. So they're alleging that the free exercise of religion, the free speech, the uh, peaceable assemblies, and the equal protection clauses and those rights have all been violated uh, by the governor and his team. And that there's been a general deprivation of liberty. uh, And they are asking uh, that that the uh, court award monetary damages and declare that Governor Waltz has not had the statutory authority to do this. Now, the monetary damages comes from the notion that basically uh, there was a violation of the Fifth Amendment under the Takings Clause, where uh, when you, he forced a business to shut down and did not compensate that business for the time that they were going to be shut down. And so that's, that's basically a quick summary of what the lawsuit is about.
0: All right. And so... I think that as we, you know, as we consider the constitutionality of, of lockdown or shutdown orders across the country, I do think this is going to um, emerge, you know, more frequently. Um, I, you know, in the government's defense, what, what were
2: they supposed to do? I don't know, because nobody knows. This is uncharted territory. What was the federal government or the state government supposed to do? We 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 haven't thought through a pandemic very well in this country, right. and, and it's the unknown that has led to a lot of these things. I think this pandemic will result in a series of, of legislative actions across the nation at the federal and the state level and in the courts with case law, and we will have a much better idea as to what we should do next time. Uh, but if you're if you're President Trump in uh, January and early February, who are you going to listen to? If you're Governor Waltz or a uh, uh, governor of another state, who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the medical people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're going to figure that we can just pump the economy with money to try to keep this thing going. I, I really don't have a good answer for you.
0: All right, let's um let's pivot. Let's take a very quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk about these bankruptcies. There's some high profile ones, J Crew, Neiman Marcus, but um but lots of others as well. I want to talk with you um about what is happening and what we might see uh in the coming weeks, months and even years in terms of the economic impact to businesses uh from from this pandemic. My conversation partner is Bill English. You can find him at bibleandbusiness.com. We'll be right
1: back. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy, streaming in with the morning light.
0: My heart... Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. All right. Uh, we have heard about these very high profile uh, bankruptcies, Jake, Crew, Neiman Marcus. There are there are many uh, this year. They were gonna happen anyway. Um, And so let's talk a little bit about that. We've also got a number of um, farms, farmers that are very likely going to be filing for, um, for bankruptcy as well. Talk with us about the types of bankruptcies, which types these are, and what you think we can expect.
2: Yeah, what we can expect is... Is for the weaker, less stable companies to be the first who file for bankruptcy. Uh, an event like this is going to take out the weak and the impaired first. The stronger companies are going to be able to weather the storm more longer before they have to uh, go to bankruptcy. All of these bankruptcies that that you mentioned, J. Crew, Neiman Marcus, J. C. Penney is on our our show notes list, um, and a number of these uh, farmers. Uh, At least for the big companies, they are going after Chapter 11, which means that they are reorganizing their debts, coming under the protection of the court from the creditors, and they are going to submit a go-forward plan as to how they pay the creditors and yet remain in business. That's a chapter 11. Both the creditors and the courts have to approve those plans. And so the the creditors have some say in what happens there. Uh, But these are not chapter sevens, which are liquidations. You're going to see a lot more liquidations with smaller businesses. And you're never really going to hear about it on the news because, well, they're small businesses. They don't employ 30 or 40 or 50,000 people. They employ 15 or 20 or 50 people. Uh, in terms of the uh, the uh, farmers, they have their own code. Uh, it's Chapter 12 bankruptcies for family farmers, and I think this is going to likely push some of those who are highly leveraged with debt uh, into bankruptcy faster. But a lot of these larger, Carmen, just a lot of these larger companies that we're going to hear about filing for Chapter 11 reorganization bankruptcies in the next, I'm going to say, 30 to 180 days, they were already headed in that direction and this covid thing has just uh pushed them down the road faster really is all it is
0: all right um we have a few minutes left can we um talk sure. about unemployment as well um the unemployment numbers that we are seeing reading about are staggering um remind us sort of how the government measures unemployment and what you think maybe is are the real numbers that we should be looking at?
2: Yeah, actually the, the government, um, the, the big number that came out this past week was the 14.7% that we shot up from 4.4% up to 14.7% unemployment in one month. And of course that's a dramatic increase. And the, uh, news, uh, Got some nice ratings out of it, I think. Uh, But it was not unexpected. Everybody was expecting this to happen. That number is called the U3 unemployment number, which is really the total people who are unemployed as a percent of the civilian labor force. Now, that means it's related to the labor force participation rate. And so the labor force participation rate is another uh, number that, that the government measures to say... How many people between certain ages who are able to work, how many of them are actually working? And that number dropped to 60%. So we have 14.7% unemployment and we have a 60% labor force participation rate, which means that for every 10 people who could be working, only six actually are. And the other four are either discouraged workers or they're just choosing not to work for whatever reason. Maybe they're supported by somebody else. Now. Um, there is a – they have a U1 through U6 numbers in these unemployments. I'm not going to go through all of them. I just want uh, to highlight the U6 number, which is all of the unemployed plus all of those who are underemployed, meaning that I'm not – I'm employed but I'm not getting as much work as what I would like, and all of the discouraged workers who have – those are people who have given a job market-related reason for not currently working – looking for work. So you throw all of those folks together, and our unemployment rate is actually 22.8 percent. And that's okay. – uh, and I think that's under underreported, frankly.
0: And, and – yeah, and staggeringly bad. Okay, so when we start talking about um, – the way the the government functions and the you know the gas it puts in its tank, right? Which would be federal income tax dollars. Um, sure. Part of this conversation is the government is writing a lot of, uh, of a lot of checks right now. Um, those are going to you know be called at some point, right? And the way that the government pays its bills is through taxation. And the only people that it can tax are the people who are working. So I just think that at some point we have to have a sober conversation about those of us who are not in the 22.8 uh, percent, but in you know in the I, my math is so bad in that other percent, uh, and, and and who make enough to pay taxes because your other uh, point in our notes is that there's just an awful lot of people who don't pay federal income taxes anyway. So for those of us who are working, blessed to be working. And who um, pay federal income taxes? Uh, I think we we have to sober up that there's a tax increase, and it's going to be mammoth at some point.
2: It is, uh, and and if it isn't on us, it's going to be on our children and our grandchildren. This debt isn't going to go away, and uh, I think we need we have become so progressive in our tax system that really, from a from a federal tax. Perspective income tax. I'm not talking about states now. Federal income tax perspective. Less than three out of every ten people actually pay federal income taxes, and that's just not fair to those less than three. Everybody else ought to be participating, even even if they only pay a dollar a year. Everybody ought to be participating in the federal um, income tax programs because. Everybody gets benefits from the federal government now. There isn't a person alive here who doesn't get a benefit from the federal government. And so everybody ought to be paying in it some way. And you can't just keep taxing a fewer and fewer number of workers more and more uh, uh, taxes. You just can't keep raising the taxes on them. Eventually, they're going to leave or eventually you'll drain them of their wealth. And then there won't be any money for anybody. And I, this 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 idea of progressive taxation has gone too far. In my estimation, we need to actually generalize it back uh, towards the middle more.
0: All right, Bill, you and I got to leave it right there. Thank you so much. That was a lot of ground to cover um, this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, um, as always, for joining us. We look forward to it each and every week. That's Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. We got to take a quick break for Breakpoint. All right. So where are kids going to get that kind of formation today? Um, Kids who are in particular being raised in homes that are not stable or where there is a parent who is unstable uh, or a person who reaches literally the end of their own resources. How do we as the church step in and raise children together for good? That is the question before us today as a culture Maradel Sandberg will be here next to offer an answer.
1: This is Max Locato. You will never go where God is not. Envision the next few hours. Where will you be? In a school, God indwells a classroom. On the highway, His presence lingers among the traffic. In the operating room, the executive boardroom, the in-laws' living room, God will be there. Acts 17:27 says he is not far from each of us. Each of us. God doesn't play favorites. From the masses on city streets to isolated villagers in valleys and jungles, all people can enjoy God's presence. But many don't. They plod through life as if there is no God to love them, as if the only strength is their own, as if the only solution will come from within, not above. They live Godless lives. The psalmist determined. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, God. This is Max LeCain. Put your hope in God. You will get through this.
0: Maridel Sandberg joining me now. She's the president and executive director of Together for Good. You can find them online at tfgood.org. That's for Together for Good, tfgood.org. Maridel, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us. So we have um, we have raised the alarm and concern here on the air uh, most just most recently in a conversation with Dr. Linda Mental earlier this week about what we all suspect is going on um, inside these isolated homes across the country um, right now where parents have, uh, particularly single parents, you know, have reached literally the end of their, not only their financial resources, but sort of their personal and emotional resources to care well for their children. Tell us what you think is happening um, out there behind the closed doors as we uh, enter into yet another month of this social isolation. Yeah, we like to call it the hidden
3: epidemic, Carmen. And we know that the CDC reports in general that the number one indicator in family systems of crisis and child maltreatment is social isolation. I'm alone, I'm afraid, and I just don't have enough resources. And in this case, I'm guessing you're right. They've lost their finances, but then also the emotional um, bandwidth to be able to parent their children well. Nobody wakes up in the morning, Carmen, and says, I'm going to beat my kid. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm just going to drink myself silly. Um, Life happens, trauma happens, and we know that children are at risk, and especially so right now because there aren't other eyes and aren't other ears that might hear or see things that are happening to children.
0: All right. And so there's going to be, you know, folks who are going to respond to this and they're going to say, well, then um, the government ought to be doing its job better. Right. The children's um, all of those children's service people need to get out there and they need to find those situations and cases and they need to intervene. Um, First of all, why is that a bad answer to the question? And um, and what's the better answer?
3: Yeah, so we know that historically speaking, the government did step in and decided that they would be the, the determining factor of whether parents should parent or not, which we know is a safety protocol. But what we know now is that system is completely overwhelmed, and will be even more so as we look at the days ahead. And unfortunately, that system is set up to only intervene after severe maltreatment, severe abuse has happened. So children are already harmed by the time that threshold is met. When um, calls come into child protection, they're either screened into the system or screened out. And as we know, that that threshold continues to get higher and higher. So small things that we might have in the past considered abuse aren't necessarily um, given first shot. And so what we know is that many, many families, a majority of families are screened out, which means they're not going to get the kind of attention, nor maybe should they. But we want to ask the question as a community of faith, the system that's set up right now only intervenes by force, um, to take children out of families homes once severe harm has already been done to children. Together for Good ask the question, why would the Church of Jesus Christ wait until children are already harmed before we step in? And we know that those families are experiencing that social isolation and they're afraid. And they're afraid to ask for help because if they do, you'll take my children away because that's the only system we know right now together for good saying, we want to come in and say, there's another path that we need to create in our society that says church followers of Jesus step
0: up and step into the lives of families who are asking for help. All right. So describe that to me. Tell me a story about how that functionally works. Well, Carmen, um, we have volunteer
3: families. What we know about the program is that, um, We want families to voluntarily ask for help, empower families to say, we know you're struggling. We want you to ask for help. And we're calling God's people to volunteer to help temporarily so that that family can get back on their feet. And that provides a different level of hope because nobody's got a gun to my head. I have time and someone who's intentionally loving and caring for me. So throughout the state of Minnesota, we have volunteer host families that temporarily take care of children when families are facing crisis. The stories that we know are many, but one of the main indicators right now is that the children who were in foster care, who have experienced severe trauma, are now adults. And they didn't have parents growing up. They had in and out of foster care, in and out of of parental homes. And now they themselves didn't have a good family system to to um, learn about parenting and so as we come alongside and walk with families through this hosting process and or um, mentoring um, and also then providing that social network of people that's become a sweet wonderful gospel relationship opportunity. And so many people who wouldn't otherwise as Christians, many say, well, I'm not going to get involved in foster care. That seems really hard. And the truth is it is because those children are already so damaged that the the trauma and the behaviors that come out of that trauma are really significant. Whereas if you're coming upstream and saying, we want to help families prior to that severe neglect or an abuse, We're in a whole different situation of hope and opportunity for that family unit to stay together Um, so that the the families that we serve can either be, can call in by themselves. They can be referred by a hospital social worker. A school teacher might see something and say, here's a tool for you. Why don't you ask for some help? Especially simple things, Carmen, like what if you're going to have a baby and you have no one to watch your children while you're in the hospital? Hmm. Imagine being that socially isolated. And people will say to me, I have friends, I have family, but I have no one I would trust to keep my children overnight because they themselves experience trauma as children. And so that Mm -hmm. triggers everything within them to be scared that what if something happens to my child? So um, we have opportunities to come alongside the journey. We know that nothing happens overnight, but that when families are given connected, safe relationships and trusted relationships, Those walls come down and opportunities for gospel impact and especially for nurture to families happens. We're seeing beautiful pictures. Um, Just this week, we had a mom call who um, has two children. She herself was trafficked for three years, locked in a room. She has now is out of that story and trying to make a life for herself with two children, but she struggles with all of the PTSD, all of the trusting issues and physical issues. And so she struggles with things. And so our families come alongside her. Sometimes it means we take, give her a weekend break. Sometimes it means that she just has a a two hour break while she goes to her therapy appointment. Most recently I visited with her and her car broke down and she was so discouraged, but it changed the game when she realized there were people out there actually advocating for her to say, here's a mom who deserves to have a break, deserves to have a car. And you know that um, many have said that the Church of Jesus Christ is the largest distribution network on planet Earth. So what does it look like to not only come alongside relationally, but with resources as well? You know, people who can donate that car, people who can donate those diapers to make her life a little
0: easier. I'm talking with Maridel Sandberg. Uh, we are talking about Well, we aren't just talking about Together for Good, but that's the specific place that you can go to get more information, resourcing, um, and to connect with the ministry, tfgood.org. We're really talking about an overwhelming need in our culture and the opportunity that the church now has um, to press in to this most critical issue. If you want to change the future, if you want a harvest of righteousness in the future in our country— then intervening now in the lives of children and families who are vulnerable, at risk, and stressed to the point of breaking, now is the time to uh, to step forward and be God's people in in the midst of this particular um, opportunity and conversation. These are already things that you, as a Christian family, are skilled in doing, um, and they are uh, and they are skills that others need, and they're gifts of grace that others need as well. So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We need. Continue my conversation with Meridel Sandberg from Together for Good. You can check it out at tfgood.org um Maridel I have um uh, you know I have in mind a single mom um of a of a child who is in my child's class and I guess I'm wondering how does a person initiate how, how is this offered like right so um and I recognize that right now this is available in Minnesota to Minnesota families but talk about you know how churches and other places could Um, could engage and start such things. But just, you know, on a very, very personal level, how how do I appropriately offer such help?
3: I think the biggest call is that we become the eyes and ears to look around. What you're saying is exactly correct, Carmen. You've identified that there might be some risk, but also just that there might be some actual need for support in general. And so to be, uh, you know, befriending, I think we just think about strategic gospel relationships in general, we all get caught up in that whole idea of how do we approach someone? How do I love well? What does that look like? And really, it's truly about just saying, I'm here, I care. And if you ever needed support, I'd be happy to watch your child for you. Obviously, in the situations that we're dealing with, we do have legal paperwork that's involved that says the parent has the right to temporarily give power of attorney to another parent, um, which then makes it a, a good solid situation for both parties involved so when we're going to host a child overnight then those that kind of paperwork could be involved but in your case carmen what does it look like to just say i want to be a friend i want to be that person that comes alongside and we know that the power of relationship is what makes the difference trusting relationships can make all the difference we don't necessarily do that very well as a church but this is our time like followers of jesus we need to say that we're going to stand in this gap we're going to create this new option We're not going to wait for the systems in place to say, well, you need to make an adoption plan for your child because you can't parent. No. What is the opportunities before us to say, I'm going to come alongside. And, yep, you didn't have the luxury of two parents in your home that nurtured you and helped you. But I can come alongside and help that family. So it might be as simple as we're going to the zoo today and do you want to come with? Or Mm -hmm. being that extra special. um, And even teaching your children, we found that children become like first responders in many cases, because a child's coming into our home to stay for a little while. And those children are the ones who are loving and caring for them. It's been a beautiful example of the family together on mission in their home. Um, and it's provided many opportunities, but truly we right now is the time for the church to say, we want to be those eyes and ears. We want to be that support and strength. We don't want to be the people who judge and say, Oh, that person's making really bad choices but instead say, Lord, what is the opportunity before us to stand in the gap and be the people that God's called us to be? Wouldn't it be great if we were known, if we were branded for those people who stood up and said, we're going to help, we're going to be a part of the solution, we're going to be positive, instead of being known for all the things we're against, Carmen?
0: Well, and even just going with somebody to meetings, um, you know, related to what's happening in their home. I mean, the, you know, going to a meeting at Child Protective Services can be pretty scary. Um, And, you know, and just just navigating some of the systems in the culture that uh, some of us have never experienced as unfair or oppressive, but others experience as completely um, unfair and oppressive. And so I think that even just being willing to go with somebody um, to To be I to be a second set of eyes and ears in a conversation um, to, you know, to hold their kid or sit with their kid while they're in a meeting. I mean, there's all kinds of very, very simple um, in places and ways to engage. Um, I'm I'm just aware I'm I'm aware of a of an individual with whom I walked when she um, she came out of a time of being incarcerated. And so the process of being restored to, you know, to her full parental rights took um, took some period of time. And all of the places and spaces along the way that were not scary for me, they just weren't. I wasn't intimidated by the people who, you know, who had the red pen, got to decide whether or not she got a check or an X next to a, you know, on a box that was required uh, in that process. Um, she was terrified at every step along the way. And so even just being a person who can can come alongside and can can translate some of the information that um, that others don't understand or find to be completely overwhelming. I mean, some of this is, is as you say, as simple as, as being a friend who walks with someone along the way. Yeah, I think the big question of
3: the day, and we all would say this as parents, it's terrifying, the thought of losing your children, the thought of someone else making that decision for you. But what we found also is that Many, many Christians just have never walked in this space—the uh-huh. child protective system—and it can be just extremely scary. And to say we're going to come with you to that meeting, um, even school meetings, advocating for children in their their academic needs—we um, have a lot of crisis with medical crisis in general. To be that person who could say, "I can't, um, you know, watch your child overnight, but I can come with you to that doctor appointment. Or I can get you transportation." We have a lot of that happening. We also serve a large homeless population, so imagine the layers and layers of of neglect and risk and um, of being alone and afraid and and not having that family social
0: support yeah and right now um I'm just aware that there are you know there are people who finally got back on their feet um after you know after some series of events in their life and they they were just now at the place where you know, they've, they're they finally in an apartment with their kids. And then now they have lost their hourly job. Um, and they are suddenly in a crisis again of returning to, uh, you know, a situation of being homeless or without the resources that are sufficient for the raising of a child. And so, you know, let's just be people who press into this. Let's not wait until, you know, the bottom collapses in our community um, for our neighbors who have kids. Let's step up. We are the church. We are big, um, and we are capable. We are blessed, um, and we are able. And so, Maridel, maybe just issue the call right now to our brothers and sisters in Christ to press into this. What might be a first step? Um, obviously, we're going to pray for we're going to pray for folks. We're going identif- to identify them. We're going to begin caring for them. What might be a first step for somebody who's really touched by this conversation today? Where do they get started?
3: Yeah, for those in Minnesota, for sure, TF Good, and you can click on Join. And we want you to volunteer at any capacity. The truth is, this is going to be a work of the Church of Jesus Christ, and we operate through that vehicle of the church. Every church in our community has a team of people. Some host children, some do respite, some do resources. Some are the person who's the diaper lady or the, or the bring an extra meal to someone. We found during this pandemic, it's been a powerful thing to connect by just bringing someone a meal on a regular basis. That social connection, that opportunity to to touch base has been really powerful. Um, But you can make a difference and your church can make a difference together. And again, we want to stand in the gap and say, no more, no more waiting till foster care. And we say that because we know that the outcomes of foster care are horrific. Children who are harmed and neglected severely, those outcomes, they're not gonna end up graduating from high school. They're not they're gonna have they're gonna end up in prison, Carmen. It's not a small thing, but we can make a difference right where we're
0: at in our own communities. Watch for families that are struggling. Um I know we're out of time, Maradel. But um I I am sure that schools are doing food distribution in your communities in the same way they're doing food distribution in our community. Um, I have started going to the food distribution, I pick up now for a couple of different families, and then I go by. That's my opportunity on Tuesdays and Fridays to actually see their faces and drop off food. Um, and in both cases, the moms are too ashamed to go to the school and pick up the food. And I'm like, I don't experience any shame in that. I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get the food, and I'm going to bring it to your house. And so um, let me just say to people, you don't have to wait for somebody to organize this. If you know there's a family in need down the street go to your local school, pick up food at a food distribution, and drop it off. Like this is that simple right now in terms of engaging our neighbors in need and using the resources that are already available. It costs me nothing. It costs me nothing but about an hour on Tuesday and Friday to do that. So let me just encourage you, find a way right now to strategically engage. Meridell, again, thank you so very much. If you are in Minnesota, you can engage at tfgood.org. If you're not in Minnesota, you can visit that same website for more information about starting this in your own state. Meridell, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. We'll be right back. All righty. We are literally out of time for today. I don't know. I seem to run over um, my opportunity to talk with you at the close of the hour, but I got to talk with you all all hour long. So thank you so much. Blessings upon you. Reach out to us at MyFaithRadio.com. Share today's show with someone new and have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.